You want to know about them, you can grab this card. And about what you can know is on that card. That's about it. Tim Ellis, maybe I'll tell you a little bit more. But the other one we can talk more about, Marcus and Boom, they're going to be here in July next month to give us an update of what they're doing in their ministry. And it's, again, just an incredible ministry working with at-risk mothers and at-risk children, showing them the love of the gospel through that. And if that's something you would be interested in knowing more about, Marcus and Boom, text me, email me, not right now. Please don't text me during this sermon. The number of times that people do that. I get it on my watch. I get it on my iPad. It's just very, yeah. So text me after church, and I will add you to a list that then you can be getting monthly updates from Marcus and Boom and hear all the amazing things that they're doing. Now you all are sitting there texting me. I know, I know them. I know them. <clears throat> but all of this, and, and even besides that, it's, we heart Boom. That continues through the summer. Even the school isn't going on. We're doing the rock, the block. That is missional. All of this is missional activity going on. All of this brings up the question, why? Why do we go on mission? Why do we do this? Some people think that those who go on mission trips are, are these incredibly adventurous people, that they have this deep sense of wanderlust and just need to go and experience. They just love the idea of sleeping in tents or in dormitories with 12 of their best friends and bunk beds that are made of metal. Like, this is just why they go. They're just these people that just love adventure. They love insects and creatures wandering through their bags. This has happened to us. Snakes, maybe, Yeah. For some, for some people, that is a draw. Some people are like, yeah, adventure, this sounds exciting. But for others, like my wife and I, not so much. As you saw in the video, Andrea has been to Haiti six times. She's been to Puerto Rico twice and Poland twice. I have been to Haiti twice, Poland twice, and Puerto Rico twice. And I'm currently praying about where I may go next. But for anyone that really knows us, who spent time with us, they know that the adventurous, outdoorsy type, no, that's not us. Like we, had, we had a barbecue this past weekend, and some of our connection group leaders just saw how outdoorsy I was. I stepped out for about five minutes and was like, ew, pugs. Back inside. If you need me, I'll be inside. Andrea's idea of roughing it is staying at a Best Western instead of a Marriott. Me not having Wi-Fi is one of the greatest sacrifices that I can give to the people of Haiti. So why? Why, if this is our natural tendency, do we go? Well, the answer is because we have seen the importance throughout God's Word, the importance of going, the importance of sharing the gospel, the importance of going to the ends of the earth and making disciples of Jesus. But this idea of missions is not just a New Testament idea. I think a lot of us get that mentality like, okay, Matthew 28, go and make disciples. Like that's when missions starts in the Bible. It was a, a post-Jesus resurrected thought. But the reality is it's throughout the Bible. And we'll see that in Psalm 67. Today we'll have four main points as we go through it, kind of looking at why we go on missions those are not the only reasons we go on mission, just the four that we can find in this passage. So if you're already there at Psalm 67, follow along as I read. It says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth. 
your saving power among all nations. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. So first up, we go on missions to teach people about God's word. Only by reading and studying and drinking deeply of the riches of God's word will you truly know what his ways are. That's what that means when he says that your ways may be known. He's talking about scripture, God's commands, God's love for us. His ways are made known through scripture. And then once we know that, it's vitally important for us to take that message and share it with everyone to anyone we can come in contact with. It doesn't matter how great of a communicator you are or how many Bible verses you do or don't have memorized. It does not matter. If you love Jesus, you can share him. God will make up anything that you may be lacking when you share about his love and his grace and mercy. Now, it's really easy at times to sit here in Boone, Iowa, or really probably anywhere in the Midwest, and think, well, doesn't everyone, haven't, haven't they all at least heard about Jesus, right? Like, there's no way that people in Boone cannot not have at least heard about Jesus. It's their choice if they're not following. And even in the Midwest, we can kind of get that mentality. Well, the answer is, is no, not on everyone has. Some studies have been done, and I don't know the exact <laughs> way that they did the studies, but they're determining that over 2 billion people have still never even heard the name of Jesus. How is that possible? 2 billion people have never even heard of Jesus. Well, some of it is simply because they're unable to get to. Again, statistics, and I don't know how accurate these are, but they believe that there are approximately 100 tribes in the densely forested areas of South America and New Guinea. Reality is that many of those tribes have never really been found. So I don't know how we know that there's that many, but that's at least the beliefs, what they've flown over and seen or whatnot, but it's really impossible or really hard to get to them. And they don't really want to be found. They want to stay secluded away from the world. So it's really hard to get to them. That doesn't mean we shouldn't at least try. It's just difficult. Now, one of the bigger issues in unreached people is that they don't have a Bible. There isn't even one in their language. There's a missions organization named Wycliffe. It's named after the guy who first translated the Bible and first printed the Bible, not first translated, but first printed the Bible, John Wycliffe. The organization is focused on attempting to get a Bible translation in everyone's language. They state on their website that at least 2,000 languages are still waiting for a Bible translation to begin, to even start. That's not counting the ones that have at least started and just not in the hands of the people yet. 2,000 languages that have not even begun yet. Again, this may seem impossible to us, but we have to understand the, the global landscape outside of America. 
There are between 1,500 and 2,000 different languages in Africa alone. Compare that with North America, we have about 350 to 400. So the amount of intricate dialects and languages compacted in one country. And India is just the same. And Asia, it's over and over as you get in these countries that have the huge populations and many different languages. One of my, my first pastor, um, Daniel Grell, he used to go on mission to a place called the Dadinga Hills in South Sudan, which is in Africa. And the first couple times they went, they went just to go dig wells and get water and help the people. And they realized right away that there was no Bible there. And Daniel, being an evangelist, wants to share the gospel with these people, but he has no way of doing it. The idea of God and Jesus, those words don't even translate well in these other cultures. So they came home, and his youngest daughter had this great idea. She was going to draw pictures. So she drew a picture Bible for at least the gospel and the main stories. She started just drawing pictures. And they started taking that to the Dadinga Hills with them to try and at least show Jesus to these people. Also, from these first couple of verses, we need to understand what the psalmist means when he says, bless us. Right there in verse 1, he says, may God be gracious to us and bless us. And then later down, he says, so that your ways may be known to all the nations. He's referring back to the, the Abrahamic covenant. We see that back in Genesis 12. God promises to bless Abraham so that he could be a blessing to the world. That promise is repeated throughout the Old Testament and to all the Israelites. They were God's chosen people. That is what missions looked like in the Old Testament. It was very inward focused. Israel was meant to be set apart. Israel was even on a hill. The temple was built on a hill so that everyone could look to them. Everyone look at us. We have different laws and beliefs and structures and rules. They were meant to be separate from the rest of the world at that time. Everyone came to Israel to learn about God. We as Christians, though, now carry that promise of being blessed in order to bless others. Missions in the New Testament and the New Covenant is much different. We are meant to be a light to the nations, and they were too, but we, it's a different light. It is now an outward focus. At Matthew 28, Jesus changed everything. He says, now you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Now you will go out, and you will reach the nations. You will go to the ends of the earth. We must go. We are being sent all the way around the world, if, if we could. Charles Spurgeon, a famous pastor from England, once said, As showers which fall upon the hills afterwards run down in streams into the valleys, so the blessing from God comes on the world through the church. We are blessed for the sake of others as well as ourselves. Spurgeon is saying, We may be the ones that receive that blessing but it is meant to flow through us to others. We go on mission to be that flowing of the blessing, to bless others through the word of God. We also go on mission to teach people to worship. We can see that in verses 3 and 5. 
It is not enough to simply teach people facts about Jesus and the Bible. Like, it is not enough to just know head knowledge about who Jesus is. We need to teach them to worship God in word, in spirit, in song, through their entire life. Again, Charles Spurgeon said, May every man bring his music, every citizen their canticle, every peasant their praise, and every prince or princess their psalm. Simply stated, Spurgeon is expressing that every human being has the right to worship God in whatever way they can. A few weeks ago, I taught the youth group a lesson on worship. And we defined worship as the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. Reverence just means deep respect and adoration is is a deep love. So it's really just saying worship is a feeling or expression of deep love and deep respect for a deity. And we, again, as Christians, know that that deity is Jesus. That is who we are worshiping. That is who we have the respect and love for is Jesus. Many times we talk about worship, we think of the idea of singing, but worship for Jesus is so much more than that. In too many of our lives, we have the disconnect between the God we worship on Sunday and the one we seem to follow throughout the rest of the week. We need to teach people to worship through their entire lives. Romans 12.1 says that, It says that we are meant to be a living sacrifice. Our entire lives should be worship. We need to let Jesus get into every nook and cranny of our life, every thought that we have, and just affect it. Our living living sacrifice is our life. We are meant to be worshiped to him on a day-to-day basis. We want to teach people to worship God because they are image bearers of God. This verse says, all nations, every single person is an image bearer of God. I know Matt and I have said it before, um, but I'm going to repeat it every single time it comes up in the Bible because I am that passionate about it and it's that important. We need to understand that every single person that we interact with on a daily basis is an image bearer of God. No matter their age, race, gender, economic status, religious belief, or sexual orientation, every single human being in this world is an image bearer of God. No matter where we go and no matter who we interact with, they are image bearers. And it's important for us to teach people that so that they can understand who they are worshiping. The one, who created the, one, the one who created them and the one whom they are created for. And that's why we also need to teach them to worship because they were created for that purpose, to praise the one true God. That is why God created humans, so that we could worship and praise him. We see the, the repetition of praise in verses 3 and 5, right? It says, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And then in 5, it says the same thing. This is a chorus. Matt pointed out last week, these psalms are songs. This is the chorus of this psalm. Let all the peoples praise you. Let all the nations. This is worthy to be sung again and again. I, it's crazy that Shane said what he did about the Jesus that we love you song. We hadn't even discussed it. 
But I had planned on talking about that idea that many times in our churches, we get flack for modern day worship, right? Like it was just too repetitive. You just say the same lines over and over again. I've never actually had somebody say that to me. But if and when they do, I'm going to kick it right back at them and say, you know what? If you don't like repetitive worship, you're probably not going to like heaven. I know that's a bit snarky and not, not fully truthful. Like clearly I understand that if you are a follower of Jesus, when you get to heaven, you are going to love it no matter what, no matter what kind of worship it is. Like, oh, this is what angelic music sounds like. Bagpipes it is, Jesus. I'm all in. But the reality behind my statement is that the book of Psalms is very repetitive for a reason. Just like Shane said, and I will admit, there are some worship songs out there that are repetitive for no reason. But we at Stonebridge try to be very mindful about the songs that we are choosing. We want to be repeating these things. Let our devotion be to you. Jesus, we love you. If we're going to repeat anything, it should be that we love Jesus. Look at the book of Revelation. Look at the book of Isaiah. Holy, holy, holy all day and all night. Whenever we see these glimpses of the throne room of God, it is just this repetitive worship to God. We need to know that we need to praise him in the good times and praise him in the bad times. Now, depending on your natural tendency, one is usually harder than the other, right? Some people find it really difficult to praise God in the difficult times. Like, it's really hard when you're going through the suffering and the heartache and whatever, the sickness, whatever it is that you're dealing with, it's hard to feel God's presence with you. It's hard to see out of the valley. Like, God, where are you? I don't feel you. I don't know if you're here. And the... People find it hard to worship in the valley. I tend to be on the other side of that. I I find it harder to worship God when life is going well. I get this mentality like, everything's going well. I got things figured out. Nobody's sick right now. I got this. I'm, I'm good, Jesus. You go help other people that need your help. I'm good. I got this. To which Jesus usually kind of knocks me off my pedestal just to remind me, like, hey, by the way, you don't got this. I do. We need to worship God in the valleys and in the mountaintops. And we go on mission to teach people to worship and praise him. Another reason we go on mission is to raise up the next generation of workers. We can see that in verse 6. It says, the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. Now, when we first read this, we can see that it's most likely referring to an actual harvest. Like it's talking about just the harvest and God providing through the yield of the, the grain. And we can rely on God to provide us with all of our needs. But God gives us those needs, the yield, the harvest, in order for us to supply the world back with our blessings. These words, though, about yields and harvest, they made me instantly think of the salt network. Most of you know or have heard by now, but our church plant is is a church plant from Cornerstone and Ames. Cornerstone has planted 14 churches over the past 10 years. One of Cornerstone's big themes is 1002. 
We have shirts and stickers and magnets and coffee cups and water cups and even backpacks with this 1002 logo on it. I hear there's this really nice new 1002 track jacket. Troy, if you are listening, I'm a size large. Don't forget, I love the free swag. But what 1002 stands for is a reference to Luke chapter 10, verse 2. And it says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is Jesus telling us that the harvest is plentiful, meaning that there are literally millions, actually, no, two billion people that need to hear the word, the gospel. They need to hear about Jesus. The problem is that there's not enough workers to reach all of those people. And when Jesus says workers, he's not simply referring to pastors. He's referring to all followers of Jesus. We are all workers being sent. So many of us, Matt and I and a few others in the church, and hopefully eventually all of you will have your alarms set for 10.02. And when our alarms go off, we pray. We pray for God to raise up workers. We pray for God to raise up workers right here for D6, for youth ministry, for women's ministry. We pray for the town of Boone, for God to raise up workers to go into the community and spread the gospel. We pray for God to raise up disciple makers and church planters all across Iowa. We pray for Wisconsin, Florida, Indiana, Michigan, Missouri, Kansas, Minnesota, and wherever else salt may head next. We pray for Haiti, the Middle East. Guatemala, Ethiopia, and the ends of the earth. Not all of those every single time. We pray every day, so we try to pray for a little bit of those every day. I personally pray for God to raise up workers in those countries from within the country. It is important for us to go to the ends of the world and to tell people about Jesus and to work to get Bibles into their hands But it's just as important to raise up workers in those countries that will continue to work the harvest. I believe that the best missionaries for Haiti or any country are already there. Think about it. If America was this unreached people group, if if everyone in America had never heard of Jesus... Who would you be more open to hearing the gospel from? Some Haitian knocking on your door that could barely speak English or standing on a street corner trying to teach you about Jesus or your neighbor who somehow came to know about Jesus, a coworker, a family member. It is vitally important for us to raise up workers in those countries to continue the harvest. Another example is myself. I don't say this, I say this very humbly and trying to not be boastful, but think about this idea. I've, pray, I've told the stories before of God, like, God, I just need to get out of Boone. I just want to move. I need to get out of here. And right when I was finishing Bible college, I was praying and trying to get out of Boone. And I met with a pastor and he said, Joey, I believe you are the one that is meant to stay because the people in Boone will listen to you because you're one of them. And I was like, oh, I am. I'm a Boonie. That's just who I am. 
but I have an ability to speak to people and to make connections with people where others haven't had that opportunity. But I can't do it alone. That's the blessing of having Matt and Josh and Shane and our elders and all of you. Because when I get stuck in this rut of like, this is what we need to do, everyone can come in and say like, okay, you're kind of stuck in your boonie mentality. Let's take a step back and see the reality of life. So we go on mission to raise up that next generation for here, there, and everywhere. Lastly, we go on mission to teach people to fear God. We can see that in verse 7. And when we say, fear the Lord, we need to understand as followers of Jesus, this is not a, a terrified, frightful, scared kind of fear. Fearing, God's mean, fearing God means having a reverence for him. The Hebrew word that is used in this verse means to stand in awe, reverence, respect, recognizing the power and position of God and giving him the proper respect. But whenever we think about the fear of the Lord, we also need to couple that with the love of God. We can't have one without the other. The fear of the Lord and the love of God go hand in hand. If we don't fear him, we cannot appropriately love him. And if we don't love him, we can't understand what a fear of him is. They have to be together. God holds all things together. He controls, he leads, he is in charge of everything. And he could, if he wanted to, just snap us out of existence, right? Like if he wanted to, just the universe is gone. He has that power. And that is the... That is the power of him, but the love of God, he would never, ever do that. Never, because he is, I know the mentality of like fathers is hard for some of you, but God is a good father who loves us and cares for us and has given us everything, and he would never, ever do that, even though he has the power to. That is the awe of God. We were sitting around talking about this idea this past week, Matt shared an analogy with me, and I told him I was going to steal it, but I'm giving him credit now, so it's okay. He said to him, the fear of the Lord was like an ocean. Like when you're standing on the shore of the ocean, and you're looking out, and it's so beautiful, and it just seems to stretch on forever and ever, depending on what ocean you're in. It's just all of it, and the little boats out there are so tiny, and it's, you see the waves, and they look beautiful too. Everything just looks so amazing. And then you get in a boat and you get out there on that ocean and all of a sudden you are in awe of the power. Like you can turn the rudder or you can try and set the sails differently, but the reality is you are at the whim of the wind and water. The power of that ocean just seems to push you wherever it wants to go. We want to teach people about the fear of the Lord, but we need to understand in this world, there tends to be two opposing points of the pendulum that we need to work against. One is this mentality that we don't need to fear the Lord. Like, he's, he's just this distant, far-off guy that just got everything spinning and, and then steps back. He's like this grumpy grandfather punishing us if we do something wrong, but, but besides that, he doesn't really have any control over us. That is not a fear of the Lord. That is an arrogant belief that we control our lives, that sin isn't that big of a deal, but it's also that God is not intimately concerned with our day-to-day lives. 
It's missing the care and the love that many of us feel every day. Now, the opposite end of the spectrum is a fear of punishment. Some people become Christians because of the fear of what if, right? What if they're right? Like, I've heard about hell, I've heard about God, I've heard about eternal punishment, and I don't want that, so I'm become a Christian just because what if they're right? I've heard it referred to as being sold fire insurance, right? Like, the fear of hell is what keeping you a Christian, That is at least an understanding of how powerful and perfect God is, but it's an unhealthy fear of discipline and punishment. It will lead to a life of legalism. I do this to make God happy, and I don't do this so that I don't get disciplined and punished. We need to teach people to live in the middle. We need to have a realization of God's holiness, perfection, and power. But we also need to understand his grace and his mercy and his love. And that is shown no better than in the picture of the cross and the life of Jesus. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Jesus willingly took our punishment so that we could be forgiven. That is what the fear of the Lord is, that he created me, he sustains me, he molds me, he leads me, and he died for me. That that puts me in awe every time I think about that. Created, sustains, leads, and molds. It is a day to day and died for. If that doesn't give you an awe and and a sense of care, I don't know what can. We go on mission to help people see those truths. And like I said in the beginning, this is a summer of missions, right? Haiti, Middle East, Guatemala, Ethiopia. But we don't have to go to a foreign country to live missionally. We live missionally when we walk out these doors. When you go to work tomorrow, when you parent your children, that is living missionally, teaching Jesus, te- teaching people who Jesus is every day. Last year, we did this event called the Art of Neighboring, this idea of loving our actual neighbors. If you have a trampoline, invite the neighborhood kids over to jump on it. Mow your neighbor's lawns once in a while. Whatever it is, love the people that God has put around you on a day-to-day basis. Now, this whole psalm points us to the idea that everything that we do needs to be done through God's power, not ours. Before creation, God looked through all of eternity and chose us for salvation. Not because of anything good that any of us have done, but because of his sovereign goodness. He chose us. God is the one who provides the workers. We are simply the vessels that he chooses to use. The broken vessels that he uses to reach the people. He knows each and every person who will come to saving faith. He is the one who convicts of sin. We do not. We don't know the people that we interact with who may or may not accept him, but he does. He has planned it. He is in control, and he knows. But we need to go no matter what. 
as God's people, we need to celebrate that he is willing to use broken vessels like us. We need to continue to pray for God to give the privileges of his grace and his blessings every day and pray for his daily presence in our life. We also need to pray for those who don't know God that he will draw them to him. Now, although this psalm is written during the time of the Old Testament, it was looking forward to a time when Jesus reigned, when all the people would become part of God's people. We go on mission to help people know and obey Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that you...